Welcome back to the MCU Exchange Podcast. We are coming a little bit later to you this week, but we have a chock-full show full of a lot of fun stuff. We're going to talk about the Defenders trailer, then we're going to talk about Inhumans costumes, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. review, and then our big conversation, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It is finally here. We're so excited to get into it with you guys, so buckle up, Groot. We're about to go to the MCU Exchange Podcast. Alright guys, so we are coming to you a little bit later than usual because we wanted to give you and us time to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 so that we can talk about it and uh, just really dive into the latest and greatest uh, Marvel film. Uh, as usual, we've got Adam and Rhiannon with me. We're recording a slightly different time, um, so maybe we'll be a little more chipper. It's a little earlier in the day, but also um, if you ever hear any kids screaming in the background, I'll try to edit that as much as possible, but we'll see. You guys have a good weekend. How many times have you seen Guardians so far? I've seen it once. I twice so far, and I've been itching to see it a third time, but I never got around to it. I figured you'd be more than once, Adam, so I, I knew this was kind of, this is your deal. Yeah, I, and the both times were, uh, both times were on Thursday night, oh. back-to-back showings, so it was, uh good time and that, that was the really good thing because that way i mean it was obviously super fresh in the head and even that close it's you're able to analyze it more and even pick up more stuff and and even then i mean i'm reading everything online and that all the spoilers i can now and i'm still picking up slight things i missed and that's what i because yeah. i saw it the once on thursday and i have plans to see it again this next thursday and I liked that time to come back and hear you guys talk about all this stuff because there was stuff I didn't know. So I'm glad to have a little bit of time before I see it again. So this week we're not going to do a typical news segment just because I think we're going to have so much to talk about. The show does not need it. So uh, we're just going to hit the really big stuff. And the first of those really big things is that we finally got a trailer for The Defenders. We have been waiting for this show forever. And uh, we got the trailer, and I know personally, it was like jump up and down in my chair good. Like, I was so excited by what we saw in it. Uh, Rhiannon, you're our resident Netflix expert. Uh, How are you feeling about The Defenders after seeing this first trailer? I feel so good about it. I, I just, it was fantastic. It's the first time, like, I spent a lot of time, like, seeing MCU news while I'm sitting at work. It's the first time my coworkers called me out for giggling at my desk. Like, it was just perfect. Everything about it was wonderful. And, and I was surprised. You know, it's not like... Uh, but I mean, are we going to go into it, or are we just doing initial reactions? Uh, I mean, go into it. Let's go, yeah. I mean, that first 30 seconds where Jessica is sitting in the, in the police office... And Matt Murdock walks in and says, hello, or I'm Matthew Murdock. I'm your attorney. And I always, I've gotten that wrong like 15 times, but it's a scene straight from the comics. And I am so excited that they're doing it. I'm so excited that that's how they meet. It was one of the things that made me a little bit sad when we got that news that like they all meet in a a hallway fight in Midland Circle. I was like, oh, I always kind of wanted the Matt and Jessica to meet in, in the police station. and for them to give me that I had to stop and catch my breath before I watched the rest of the trailer um and then when I did I just loved everything about it I mean I could go on for days 
talking about this trailer. So I'll let Adam talk about it too. It was good. I mean, heck yeah, the Defenders. Holy cow, they're actually making a show about it. That's awesome. And to actually see it and outside of the elevator. Um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Iron Fist looked cool. What's <laughs> up with that? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I think the full-on redemption of Danny Rand is going to be part of like the purpose of this show is to convince people like, hey, you should like this character more than you did at the end of Iron Fist. So, And I said it last week that people are going to like Danny more after the Defenders. And yeah, hopefully he's going to be super cool. Uh, that scene with him punching Luke that directly called back to the scene in Luke Cage where the guy tried to punch him at Genghis Khanis. That... Just stuff like that was so incredibly awesome. Yeah, I, I, the thing that really stuck out to me was that the characters are all talking to each other the way that they should. Like, every interaction with some combo of the two of them looked like what I thought, you know, like I thought it should. And for all the complaints about Danny Rand, I think that putting him with some cynics are going to... um it acknowledges how the audience feels about him in a, an appropriate way, but it also will help the audience see how he's kind of a needed change of tone from the others. Cause those three without Danny are going to be a very miserable, pessimistic lot of people, you know, like it's just not going to be a healthy psychological situation. You need somebody that has some kind of hope and excitement and we can do this. And so, but I loved, you know, just like when he says, I am the immortal Iron Fist. And Luke Cage is like, the what? <laughs> like, he said exactly what we've been thinking the whole time that we were watching that show. And like him as the voice of reason contrasting against Danny was so much fun. And then Jessica just being totally not impressed by Matt Murdock. Like, those are just, those are how if those people were real, they would actually talk to each other. And um, I just thought that was all really, really great. Um, so yeah, Rihanna, other, other things. I know you don't want to, you could go on forever, but anything particular about, what about the plot? What were you thinking as far as we saw plot wise? I mean, several things really stuck out to me about this trailer. One, Matt Murdock doesn't have a mask at all. I mean, well, except for when he has Jessica's scarf, which... I don't know if I brought that up here. I know um, somebody else had brought it up on Twitter and that had become my headcanon. But we learned that it is Jessica Scarf. Um, but an extraordinary amount of Matt with no mask. And I, I, I love that idea that after Daredevil season two, he gave up being Daredevil. And this is going to sort of be his journey back to the mask. I love the idea that Elektra is totally going to screw him up. If you watch that hallway fight, the little bit that they show of it, if you just, I don't know, it's almost in slow motion, Elektra creeping up on Matt and him just going at it. So um, I can't wait to see how Elektra just screws with him. Um, we're going to get to see Luke and Claire get back together. They gave hints of, well, I mean, hints. They showed them in bed together. So having a conversation, but yeah, we have every reason to believe that they're going to finally get their coffee. Um, 
Luke shows up in New York on a bus alone, which kills my little idea of Luke and Matt having a road trip back from Georgia, getting to know each other that way. Um, Plot-wise, it shows that there's going to be a great battle against the Hand. And, I mean, we got a little bit of a hint at what Sigourney Weaver's character or what the Hand is going to bring out. Um, I'm excited about Elektra being whoever Sigourney's character, you know, the Beast or whatever they're going to call her, um, being her minion. And who knows what all we're going to see. I mean, even Stick... If you look at some of the scenes close enough, uh, when they're standing in the Chinese restaurant, it looks like Stick might be missing a hand. Um, Stick might have already gone to battle. He he just he doesn't look like his confident usual self. Um, I'm really excited to see what what's to come. I would have I I I almost hate that we have had this trailer because it has got me so excited over it. And we still have three months, over three months to go. Yeah, uh, we were talking a lot uh, in our conversations um, within, you know, the group of the website about just how colorful it is. And yes. there's some scenes that are very comic booky. Like there's a scene where there's some sort of like power or wave of energy that kind of knocks them all back, which, you know. I've been rewatching all of these shows for a feature that I'm going to be doing this summer where I rewatch all the Netflix shows before defenders. And there's so little of that, particularly early on. They wanted it all to be like just a regular guy punching criminals to see us evolve to that. And for it to feel natural and comfortable is really kind of exciting. So uh, you mentioned that Matt does not have his costume at any point. My theory is that... He doesn't have his mask. He is in costume. Right. In one scene. Uh, The Daredevil costume? Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't see that. There's okay. one where it's like... Um, and I didn't catch it either. I actually thought it was another character. Maybe like a hand ninja in red and black. But it's... Uh, Danny is at the front of the picture. Or, I mean, like if you screenshot it, Danny is at the front... And Matt's in the back. He has the Daredevil suit on, but no mask. And he's positioned to fight. But he has, like, his head tucked down, so you don't see his face as much. Um, hmm. But you do see the Daredevil costume. That's interesting. I really am hoping that there's, like, a money shot where, like, the four of them, like, break into a building, like, kick down a door. And they're all in some sort of comic-accurate, like, uniform I mean, for Jessica and Luke, that's not going to be that different from what they already have. But to see Danny in some kind of Iron Fist suit, like, it, people would lose their minds. And if they wait till the eighth episode and do it like Daredevil season one, that's fine. But, you know, just like that shot of them together in comic suits. Adam, do you feel like from this trailer that we are kind of moving that direction as far as being a little more comic accurate with all this stuff that we finally proven ourselves enough that we don't have to be as grounded anymore. Yeah, I, I think we'll get there eventually. Uh, I mean, to have, obviously, the, we, we got the callback to Luke's original costume. Um, well, even in Jessica Jones, you know, I mean, they're pretty much are where they are, you know. Um, the only thing missing is Danny, and I believe Finn Jones Snapchatted a picture of a T-shirt at one time, and it looked as if Danny was wearing some sort of head outfit or something. 
Um, so I think so. I'm not sure if you guys have seen. I can't remember where I even saw that. Um, but that's the thing. I, I mean, even in the hallway fight, I mean, Matt essentially is looks exactly like how Iron Fist should, you know. So I mean, it's I don't get why we won't be able to see an Iron Fist costume at some point or another. It could be really humorous too to have like a scene where I can just see Danny going, "Yeah, when you did that like scarf on your head, that looked really kind of cool." And Jessica's like, "You're an idiot." <laughs> exactly. And Matt's like, "Are you kidding?" And he's like, "No, guys, I'm serious. It looked cool." And they're like, "Whatever, dude." And then like the next time we see him, he's like fashioned the iron uh, iron fist mask on him. So that could be cool. I'd love it. Uh, I also loved how um, Sigourney Weaver was like a big deal like the way they revealed her in the trailer it's like they completely understand what they have and so like the way that was just the camera shot and the reveal of her they were just like sort showcasing it was like yeah we have Sigourney Weaver and we know it check it out you know like they're totally playing up um sort of her prestige in the show and I think that's it makes a lot of sense from a marketing perspective but all of those things just communicate that they they are listening and they get what we want from the show. Uh, the martial arts, already there is more good martial arts action in a two-minute trailer than the entire season of Iron Fist. <laughs> you know, like, they're just, they're clearly just paying attention and they're trying to do this well. Um I haven't been able to keep up with all this. Rhiannon, we have some of the same showrunner people from Daredevil Season 2. Is that right? The showrunner on this, it started off as Doug Petrie and Marco Ramirez, which were the co-showrunners on Daredevil Season 2. At some point in the process, Doug Petrie left. And there, uh, so th- I, we saw some article this week that said that happened in October. So it's Marco Ramirez who has been, he was a writer on Daredevil season one. He was show, co-showrunner on season two and he took defenders across the finish line. Yeah. He just, um, I, I just seem, I have confidence that that's about the right person we want, you know, to do that um, job. So it seems like everything looks really, really good. All right, let's move to a conversation that I am going to try my hardest to keep relatively positive so that I don't fall into a pit of despair. Uh, We got our first look at the Inhumans royal family. And um, I'm going to start with all of the good things I can say about this photo. Um, For me, I think Crystal looks perfect. I think she was exactly what you want her to look like. Um, Karnak and Gorgon, I think their costuming makes a lot of sense. It looks good. Um, I'm not too picky about it. Uh, some people kind of fussed about Gorgon just not looking quite right. Um, that makes me feel a little queasy. Is it He doesn't look right just because they cast an African-American actor? Because, I don't know, it looks like he has similar facial hair to me and similar stature, so I don't I don't know what that was about. I generally thought they looked okay. We can talk about the facial tattoo um, on Karnak in a minute. I actually liked Black Bolt's uniform a lot more than I did when we first saw set photos. The set photos that we saw were kind of the paparazzi style from a distance, and it just... 
it looked a lot like a Brian Singer X-Men leather suit. But on this view, we can see that there is some detailing and the like lightning bolt design is a slightly different color than the rest of it. And it does stick out a little more. I don't love that the helmet's gone, but that's part of, we've talked on the, the site about how helmets and comic shows tend to be terrible anyway. So maybe that's for the better. He looked regal to me. And I think that was awesome. So generally I liked the photo. Um, Medusa looked terrible. Like Medusa should be gorgeous and it just looked kind of weird and Halloween costumey. Um, and then there was the red wig, which looked like something out of a fourth grade play. Like I don't even know how to start. So anyways, I just jumped right into it, but that's what I thought. What did you guys think, Adam? Uh, I mean, I pretty much agree with every point you said, you know, I think everyone looked fantastic. I mean, um, Maximus, I, I don't think they could have looked any different. You know, that's, that's pretty much perfect. Um, Black Bolt, yeah, so, so, but again, I'm with you. I mean, Medusa was clearly the, the worst part of it. it. It's almost like they're like, Hey, let's take a group photo, you know, EW is on set. So let's, let's take a photo and you know, she threw on the wig and called it good. You know, it just looked off. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it's it's a pretty good look. You know, I don't even mind uh, Karnak. You know, with the, with the the tattoos and stuff. Yeah, I get it. You know, it's it's not um, a perfect match of how he's looked as of recent. But um, yeah, I don't mind it. I did go back. Those markings on his face look a lot like the Jenkins and Lee run from the '90s, actually. Like, it came pretty obvious to me quickly that that was their visual inspiration more than the recent uh, Warren Ellis run, so. I have one question for you guys. If this picture of the royal family had been exactly, you know, as we saw it, but you had, like, Medusa's hair wrapping around, like, popping up around people's bodies or something, would that have made a difference? Would that have been like just a little touch that would have made you super excited? Or would it have felt cheesy? Uh no, it would if it had if it looked good, it would have been <laughs> awesome. Um I am I'm hoping that this is another case well, I don't want to say it's another case of the first photos of Apocalypse from EW, because Apocalypse never got that much better in my mind. But, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, uh, if, you're an, if you're not into X-Men, uh, X-Men Apocalypse, the very first shot of uh, Oscar Isaac as Apocalypse was for Entertainment Weekly. Uh, it was done pretty hurriedly on set, and the directors talked about how the lighting was not right. There's a lot of post, uh, post stuff they do to give him the visual that they want him to have. And so he looked really dumb. A lot of people felt like he looked like a, a Power Rangers villain. And they really felt like they never recovered from that. That they really wished that that shot had never really gotten out. Because it just it wasn't a good introduction to what that character should look like. And so I think that there's some of that going on here. I'm hoping that once post-production gives Medusa the hair that she's going to have. It's going to look a lot different. Um... 
I have thought, and I haven't had time to do this yet, I want to go into Photoshop and literally just cut Marinda Swan out, or Sorinda Swan out, and like, and then like bring them all together so it's that shot minus Medusa, and I'm suspicious it will feel incredibly better hmm. just with her gone, you know? Did the other little piece of Inhuman stuff make it better for you? Oh, the trailer. The That's right. A little too... Um, it was fine. I mean, they didn't do anything wrong in the teaser, but they really didn't do much. If you haven't seen it... It's about him... It's a discussion between him and a woman, and I'm not sure who the woman's supposed to be, about committing treason against the royal family. I think that's Medusa, but I could be wrong. Uh, I I guess I don't know her voice well enough to know for sure. But yeah, committing treason and he, he his big thing is he thinks he's going to liberate the inhumans from from a bad king so yeah adam you think it could be crystal you know they were on the same side in that picture and she's kind of i don't want to say necessarily naive but she is the younger more persuadable if that's a word of the inhuman royal family so i, I don't know i guess i'm not a, too familiar with inhumans lore so I trust whatever you have to say. Yeah, I'm just guessing. Um, There is, it's not really a love triangle as much as Medusa loves Black Bolt, Black Bolt loves Medusa, but part, I mean, the affections of Medusa is one of the things that Maximus is jealous of. So the idea that he might be trying to woo her um, seems possible to me. Uh, also, there, we had those photos where Medusa looked like sh- her head was shaved. After seeing this wig that was in this picture, I believe more than ever that that could be just her shaving her head so the wig, wig will fit on. But um, if she does have a shaved head, that's again a very um, kind of intimate but also violent kind of moment where Maximus kind of shaves her hair. Um, so all those things, I think, uh, were in my subconscious when I just assumed it was Medusa. But well, I don't know. We don't. We can't really tell from the trailer. So the one other thing I did like uh, from this photo that I think would be cool is if you notice the costumes are kind of grouped. So Maximus and Black Bolt are in kind of all leather. Uh, the two women are in sort of the more spandexy costume, more comic traditional costumes and then gorgon and um karnak are in kind of like almost jedi robe kind of looks and i was saying that i think what could happen which would be cool is that those uh those groupings actually match kind of the dynastic families or at least what part of the family they come from and so the idea that characters might dress differently based on their lineage and that that kind of sets up a class struggle so that in the show, anytime somebody walks by with the leather suit kind of look, you know they're from the highest family and that maybe there's some kind of tension there and there's some class warfare. That would all be really cool and it would be fun to see that come out in the costuming. Um, I'm suspicious I thought more about that than the people that made the costumes, but maybe not. Um, it would be, I just think, an interesting visual thing to actually show like different families. I also would not be surprised if they distance these characters a little more. I forget Black Bolt and Medusa are like second cousins or something like that. 
Uh, I think they might want to change that a bit for the show. So I think it could be really cool if you had actually three or four families who are all kind of vying for control, and those families are signified by the costumes. So anything else on the Inhuman stuff, guys? Yeah, how about, um, I think there was the bid in EW somewhere. I'm not sure if it was the same one, but uh, Scott Buck confirmed that Adelan isn't on Earth. So that would explain... Um, you know, all these Inhumans popping up and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and stuff, how they don't know of them yet, I guess, if Adelan isn't located on Earth, you know, if they're going the, the moon route one, I mean, what's that going to look like? Are they actually going to do the special effects with the moon, or are they pretty much going to have the text over top of the video saying, oh, hey, this is on Adelan on the moon, you know? Yeah, that's a good question. I could see them kind of doing like they did with uh, Hive's planet on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, like, you can mimic the moon pretty easily on TV. Some people think we did in real life, so, you know, I think they can uh, they can handle that. But yeah, you're right, that was interesting that it wasn't, it wasn't on Earth. That explains the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff, but then we get into the point with how... I mean, there, there's a recurring theme with these factions, you know, so are there separate Inhumans factions and, and the Kree put some on Earth and some in Adelan and so on and so forth, you know, or how did the Inhumans gene get on Earth and blah, blah, blah. But maybe that will be discussed at some point throughout the series. I'm not holding my breath. I would love it if there would be just a little bit of dialogue where someone's like, where have you, where do you guys come from? And Medusa said, years and years, you know, centuries ago, our ancestors took our advanced city and we moved to the moon and we split with other groups that lived on places here on Earth that you guys are unaware of. And basically kind of allude to Jaying and afterlife. I think that would be really cool to suggest that those are communities that are connected way back when. So, so you did mention the Scott Buck interview. Um... I cannot muster the strength to be positive on that. Rhiannon, um, if you want to share with our listeners uh, some of the things that Scott Buck said and kind of how we're reacting to it. Sure. And I know a lot of our loyal followers on social media, if, 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 um, you, if you're listening to us, you probably follow us on some sort of social media and you probably noticed that we got really down about Scott Buck this week. And I think it is simply that in one part of the interview, and I'll, I'll admit I haven't read all of it because I found it a little bit depressing, is that he focused on the word grounded, that this show is going to be grounded or, you know, that changes were made to keep the show grounded. And I, I don't remember exactly what the quote is. I just know that that word grounded hit all of us upside the head and felt like an insult because in this same week that we all went to the theater to see a movie that takes place in space with a talking raccoon and a tree that utters three words he's sitting there saying oh well for fans to relate it needs to be grounded and I, I, I know there was other stuff in the Buck interview, I'm sure, you know, it's wonderful. But after seeing him take Iron Fist, 
and disappoint some fans in what they were wanting by this feeling that it needs to be grounded, where we're obviously moving into, you know, where we're already in a world where you're bringing people back from a dead, you have a blind guy jumping off of buildings, you have, you know, uh, so much crazy stuff. I think, I think some fans find the idea of things needing to be grounded to be complete and total bullcocky. Um, it, it's just, there is the root of Caleb's frustration. Did I catch her? Did I capture it okay? Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And I think some of it too is, um, so I remember listening to a politics podcast that was talking about um, scandals. And why some scandals overtake politicians and other scandals just seem to roll off their back and nobody cares. And they said the biggest factor is if a scandal follows a preconceived storyline that the public already has about someone, it'll stick. Because they go, oh, they're so-and-so at it again doing that thing we already thought they do. Whereas if it's a new thing, people tend to overlook at it because they don't know if it's true. And I think with Scott Buck, it's, it's Iron Fist followed by this. Yes. It was that he did a show about someone who went to the mystical land of Kunlun that never showed us Kunlun. And a character who, whose origin is, you know, grabbing the heart out of a dragon and we never got to see the dragon. And who's supposed to have crazy martial art moves or even use two iron fists at once, but he never does. You know, like there was all of that stuff. And so we're already tenuous about that. And then they move him into a property that is, it's got to be weird. I mean, Inhumans only works as otherworldly and different and doesn't feel like it's earthbound at all. So to then say, well, we wanted it to be grounded. These people literally, literally live on the moon. Grounded is exactly the opposite of what it should be. You know, it should be otherworldly and space-like. And um, so, yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is those comments very much fit into a narrative we already had about Buck and his approach to things. And so it was easier to believe and to get down on because it seems like he's doing the same thing again. And so that's very frustrating, I think. Exactly. Um, Though yeah. we will back off on all of our snark. We, we got our like few days of Buck snark out on, on our social media feeds. Um, it might totally be here in the podcast. But we, <laughs> we had some fans that were just like starting to be like, hey, guys, don't be like that. Um, and I, it got down on me. I mean, we've talked about how I like to remain positive, And I did like Iron Fist. But, um, you know, we... We're going to sort of back off on the snark a little. I think Caleb's like, yeah, sure. If you make me mom. (laughs) I mean, the the grounded part of Iron Fist was somewhat believable. You know, I mean, obviously it would have made more sense with a Luke Cage or a Daredevil, you know. But in in the same interview, it goes from keeping this alien species grounded to hey they live on the moon yeah you know and it, it doesn't really and make they have sense. a giant dog <laughs> they have a giant dog that can teleport and he has a tuning fork sticking out of his head <laughs> you know how uh, it's just goofy you know i didn't mind iron fist you know all i wanted was shall allow the undying but 
Shao Wow wasn't in it, and I got over it, you know. And Iron Fist is still, I he's one of my favorite characters, so I'm incredibly unbiased towards the TV show, and I like it a lot more than I should. It's still one of my favorite next Netflix properties, you know. But um, if he wants to keep something grounded, I would rather see that on Netflix, you know, because this whole Inhumans property. Feige says it's going to be a movie. It's not going to be a movie. It's scheduled on a potential day. It's unscheduled. It's a hybrid IMAX movie series type deal, you know. So, I mean, if the Inhumans show absolutely flops, I mean, there's never probably going to be a movie. There's not going to be a follow-up to, you know, Inhumans Season 2. It's that type of thing, you know, where... We keep on digging deeper and deeper into characters, you know. We we got we have the Guardians of the Galaxy, we have Rocket Raccoon, we have Groot, we have Iron Fist, you know. We have Stick, you know. We we're, we're bringing Black Black Bolt and Medusa to the screen, you know. I mean, with with, with these lesser known characters, we, they're gonna have to make sure it's it's damn near perfect, you know. Otherwise, people are like, "Who's this Black Bolt guy?" I don't you know? I didn't like him, you know. Give me something else. Give me another Spider-Man movie, you know? Yeah. Let me just close on this. I think if you go back and listen to our podcast when Scott Buck was announced as the showrunner to Inhumans, I believe I said something like, "The the it looks to me like he did such a good job of <laughs> doing the otherworldly stuff, like Kun Lun, that he got a job doing something similar with Inhumans. Like, the connection point to me was stuff that then I found out later he actually never did in Iron Fist. <laughs> and so, like, it's just, that's where we're at, is, like, I was like, oh, okay, he did Kun Lun well, so he's going to do Adelin well. And it's like, oh, apparently not. So, yeah, that's why we're nervous. It, it could prove us wrong, and I think we should say we want it to prove us wrong. Oh, totally. We're not cheering for anything to do badly. It's just, we just keep seeing stuff that makes us think, oh, gracious you know like what what is this so and on the uh, on the flip side the other thing in those interviews was scott buck i mean this is again he's he did not start out as a fan of the material and i think he's one of the few people behind marvel properties that didn't start out as a fan of the material you know jeff Loeb liked what he did on iron fist and he went to him and said i have this other property i want you to know about you know, what do you think? And so Scott learned it, you know, learned about him and went for it. And I think, I think that just shows. I mean, when you hear Ramirez, when you hear Drew Goddard, Chio, Hodari Coker, you know, Melissa Rosenberg, they all talk about being fans of the property and wanting to bring it to life correctly. You have James Gunn putting out this fantastic letter to fans yesterday about how he started as a fan. And then you have Scott Buck over there that's like, well, you know, I learned about this character and, you know, they pitched me how I would bring him to life. And I think I think you can just sort of feel that in somebody says. All right. Well, I never thought that we were going to talk more about Inhumans than we did about Defenders, but that's how it happened. So uh, let's go ahead and keep on moving because we still have a lot to talk about. Uh, it is time now to look at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So we had another episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This was episode 20 out of 22. So um, we're finally out of the framework, I guess. Um, are you guys sad to see it go, or was it about time to uh, come back to the real world? Do you think we're really out of the framework? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> are you thinking that she... 
I mean, are you thinking she teleported back into it? Possibly. I don't know. I, hmm. I don't know. What do you think, Adam? Do you think we're out? Yeah. Um. Well, I Colson and May. Um. And Fitz was out. You know, because now I'm double thinking myself. You know what <laughs> happens if she made that uh, matter generator type thing in some other alternate place and stuff um but yeah i think they're out i mean what we have two episodes left so we're going to have to resolve that which probably ends up with ada's human form getting killed in some way shape or form but man how good is agents of shield you know it's it's firing on all cylinders it's done a complete 180 since last season you know all my theories on how they escaped the framework completely out the window they actually did hop through a door and i never would have thought that but hey it is what it is it was an amazing episode well and i mean yeah i have i have questions about it but yeah i think they are out of the framework and um i'm a little sad to see it go i was really enjoying the au world where you know everything was flipped up and everything but um i'm glad they're moving on i'm i the twist at the end with Fitz being legitimately just freaked out was incredible. Um, I'm really interested to see where they go. Yeah, I'm usually not a big fan of um, the like long regret storylines. Like when someone's mind controlled, like Daisy after Hive, you know, like where someone's mind controlled or they're messed with mentally and they do things while they're being kind of manipulated and then they feel terribly guilty about it i'm always like come on guys let's i don't know i just find it tiring but it makes sense that he would feel something coming out of it so it was uh the extent of it and how well ian decastiker acted it i think was really was really great how good of a job is that guy doing this season holy cow i mean as soon as he popped out of the framework i mean i'm like holy crap that kid's messed up you know i shouldn't say kid because he's older than me (laughs) that guy's seriously messed up you know and that's who the character is i mean he rose to the second rank of uh of hydra you know and even though it was a fake world he still killed people and did really messed up stuff and tortured people in that other world you know and even though that's fake he did that you know, so, I mean, he's going to live with that for the rest of the time he's on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., however long that may be. Well, the thing that makes it weird, though, is it really, unlike some of the other characters, like, he didn't kill people who are inconsequential. He was directly responsible for Mace, who died in real life, and he also shot uh, Agnes, who I guess was only in the matrix like the the framework at that point but that was also like her existence like she ceased to exist anywhere when that happened so like his actions actually had more consequence than a lot of the others i think yeah and see and i mean there's still all those daisy lmds and stuff but now that this human maker 3000 or whatever is built you know i mean that still gives us the opportunity you know I mean, you, then you start getting into, well, is it ethically, you know, what can we make Ward again? Can we make Trip again? You know, is Radcliffe? I mean, 
Radcliffe, we're not even sure if the dude's good or bad. You know, he just kind of does whatever he wants. You know, is he somehow going to come back via that machine? You know, so, I mean, now that that machine is built, I mean, there's, I mean, as it stands now, there's essentially virtually endless opportunities with that. Make Max little girl so that he'll come back to the real world. I do love that. Um, I thought as soon as she had a human body, they would have like this moral crisis of if they could kill her or not. But May was not having any of that. You know, it's like, I don't care. I'm putting a bullet through her skull. You know, it was very funny to me that there was no, no concern whatsoever about her technical state as a human being. (laughs) No. In that scene with Mac and Daisy, you know, I think we all saw it coming. Yeah. But I mean, it's just like, oh man. This sucks. You know, I mean, I think we all felt during that scene, even though we practically knew it was going to happen, it's just like, man, this is actually happening, you know, and this sucks. And, like, are they going to have to get Mac's body, like, in a special shield facility and take care of it? Well, did you see the promo for next week? I saw the one with May and Felinda. With Felinda. (laughs) With Phil and May. (laughs) Okay, no, so the the actual, like, promo, like, oh, no, commercial for next week. I don't think I week, did, no. There's a, there's a scene where the water level on the sub is rising, <gasps> and it's going to soon overtake Max's, like, head. <gasps> and it's like, what are they going to do? I mean, like, they kind of have to save him, even to keep him alive on the other end, you know? Or do they? I mean, could his... Because Radcliffe continued living on the other side when his body was dead. That's true. He He just wouldn't be able to be retrieved, I guess. Yeah. Well, and the only way out right now is through molten lava that only Daisy could get them through. Right. Like, there's no way for Mac to change his decision now. Yeah. I don't think this is likely, but I am curious. So, we're never going to get a spinoff series on TV, but if they did, like, a web series that was, like, the continued adventures of Good Ward and Fake Trip, and Mac, like, in the framework, fought, like, continuing the revolution against Hydra. I would watch that easily. Like, that could be a lot of fun, right? Definitely. Absolutely. And you even came up with the perfect title for it. Good Ward, Fake Trip, and Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Call us, Marvel. We'll write this. Yeah, we will. <laughs> really. I mean, Honestly, give us an interview with Brett Dalton and we'll write it for free. Like, that's that's enough for us. Give us a Brett Dalton interview. We'll write the whole show for you. Web series. I was thinking web series. Like, you know, six, five yeah. minute, like the like the slingshot thing. Yeah, absolutely. We're up for it. Call us Lobe. <laughs> call me Lobe. Call me. E- even what? if not for this, please call her. She <laughs> has very, very Just call. I want to talk you. to you. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be. Um, the other thing is, if you don't. So we always tell you that we'll spoil the episode that's happened. If you're concerned about spoilers of things that are to come, close your ears for 30 seconds. Uh, We also have heard that Ghost Rider is going to come back for the finale, which I don't think surprises us at all. And so I do think that the framework thing is kind of behind us. I I do feel like they gave us trip and ward scenes that were meant to be goodbyes to those characters again. So I think these last two episodes are going to be the crazy Russian guy and Nightcrawler Ada and... Uh, Ghost Rider coming back and all that kind of stuff. So um, 
I think that's a fine way to end it. It's going to be, it's almost not part of this pod. It doesn't feel like it's almost like its own little two episode, you know, season finale ender. But uh, I think it makes sense. I'm excited to see Robbie Reyes back. Um, So I think that'll be good. I think all of the other pods ended with them moving into whatever the next pod's going to be. You know, like the last couple episodes of the LMD pod got a little weird last, well, the Ghost Rider pod just sort of was all over the place anyways. But the last two episodes were clearly like, okay, here's where we need to be to jump into this next pod. So I think what we can expect in these next two episodes are things to be a little bit weird moving into whatever they envision being next. And all of the rumors right now is that you know, things are going to be renewed. So. Yeah. Yeah. If you're trying to keep up, um, we have been watching the ratings and it is increasingly seeming like that's not the way to look at this show. Um, there, I did a, a ratings piece way back in December and I just mentioned that you have to remember that these shows also serve as a big advertisement and a way to keep fans engaged for the rest of the MCU. Um, because of the way Netflix releases and because movies are like one-time events, this show is a 22-week-a-year way to keep fans engaged and excited about the MCU. And from everything we're hearing, that that aspect of it, the relationship between Marvel and ABC and the way that the show serves as promotion for the rest of the thing seems to have a really big pull on ABC. So we are hearing that the show will be renewed for fifth season. which um, I think we feel we're happy about. I think we also felt like this would be maybe a decent place to end it, but uh, hopefully they will go into next season mindful of if it doesn't get a sixth, you know, we're at this point with this show, even if it was doing fine in the ratings, shows don't last forever. And so they're going to have to keep thinking about how to make a meaningful story that could be the end. uh, Whatever. I've heard a lot of people say they want a time travel story that closes out Agent uh, Carter and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think that would be super fun, but we'll, we'll see if that happens. We'll jump in now to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Um, we're going to go ahead, let's do a spoiler-free section and then a spoiler section, just in case people haven't seen it. I'm guessing the spoiler-free will be relatively limited, but we'll give our general interactions with it. If you have not seen the news today... It uh, looks like the opening weekend will be about $145 million in North America. That's a bit below the four movies that have made it to a billion, but it's a lot higher than the shows that haven't made it to a billion. So we'll see what happens. It looks like the international may pick up for any loss and that we still might hit about a billion dollars. Uh, it's been a little lower than I actually thought it would be, but it's hard to cough at $145 million. So, um. That's how it's doing in the box office. Uh, let's just do general reactions, and then we'll get into the specifics. Adam, uh, was this everything you were hoping it was going to be? End of war. I loved it. I, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, the past few days since I've seen it, I mean, I keep trying to think of, of things I actually didn't like, and I can maybe name two things I didn't like. You know, it was just fun. It, there's not really another way I can I, I've been describing it you know it's just fun I liked it um, yeah it was everything I wanted uh, I, I absolutely loved it and I think this is one that will grow with word of mouth 
Because I've definitely talked to a lot of people that saw the first one and they were like, meh. And then I told them the way I've been describing it, which is it's a fabulous movie where every single character got their own arc that had you know, their own little emotional journey that made sense, that felt congruous with the rest of the show. And it was just so enjoyable. And I think as people talk about it, like those people that are on the fence where they saw the first one and like, I don't know if any more of that talk of raccoon. I think as folks talk to them, they'll probably decide that they do need to go and see it. And at least I hope they do, because it was just absolutely. And I wasn't a huge fan of the first one. I, I saw it the first time and didn't really understand all that. The It was before I really got into the MCU, so I didn't understand all of that mythology with the Infinity Stones and the purple guy and stuff. I rewatched it this week, and it made so much more sense. And I think there's a lot of you know, standard moviegoers that are probably in the same place where they felt a little overwhelmed with the first movie. But going into this one, there's no world, there's very, well, there's some literal world building, but you don't have to get into all that. It was just so enjoyable. Yeah, I really liked it. I don't, uh, I don't think I like it as much as everybody else seems to. Not that I didn't like it. I just, um, it did for me. So I'll start with the, my, my little, my most negative thought was that it just, this one for me felt like they were trying a little harder. Like the first one was so effortless. It just, it felt like everybody was just having a total blast. And there was just a couple moments in this one where I felt like, Oh, they're really trying to make this funny instead of just being funny. But generally speaking, I liked the vast majority of it. Uh, I thought it was, it was very funny. Uh, I thought the characters were good. I think that Gunn has done a great job of expanding upon characters and moving them to new places, but in ways that are, honest to the original sequels can be really a trap because it either feels not connected to the first one or it feels like um it's just a retread of the first one and i think he has found a perfect balance on that with this movie and so that was all really really good um so yeah i had a really good time i enjoyed it uh, i thought it was a lot of fun and um i'm glad that James Gunn is going to be around for a good long time to keep on doing this because I think he has a unique approach to these movies that a lot of other folks don't have. So that's all the spoiler free reviewing we're going to do. Let's now get into a spoiler, spoiler filled conversation. Uh, go ahead and give me a favorite part of the movie for each of you guys, something you really loved about Baby Groot dancing at the beginning. That initial fight scene with him dancing around just it set the tone for me it was wonderful in 3d i mean like i never thought that just dancing around the the words and stuff would would be that enjoyable that was one of my favorite parts i i can only choose one oh man um i baby groot killed it and every single scene he was in drax killed it mantis killed it uh my favorite scene uh, was the Ravager jailbreak scene? Um, as uh, what was it? Um, I would listen to the song all morning, come a little bit closer or whatever it is. Um, where Yandu finally gets this real quote unquote Finn, and 
and they hop out of the Ravager prison. That was my personal favorite scene of the, the movie. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to repeat Rhiannon a little bit. Uh, Baby Groot was my favorite, but it was my favorite because he was a lot like an actual kid. So um, those of you that listen to the podcast probably know I have a couple of kids and they're relatively young. And when I see kids in movies, they typically are, they're kind of a caricature of what children are really like. It kind of feels like it's what someone without kids thought a child would be like. But everything he does in this movie, his facial expression, particularly the facial expressions, like literally my wife and I could see like our kids' faces on Baby Groot's body because he was doing what our kids do. The way that he would get his feelings hurt and the way that he would respond in anger and like all of it was just absolutely perfect to the way real toddlers act. And that's impressive to me because I see a lot of movies where they don't do that well at all. Even if they have human actors doing it, like it's not right. And so full credit to them for that. It, it also, I mean, I said this in my review that I wrote for the website. The flip side of that is it also made some of the scenes where Baby Groot is, you know, basically being mistreated or abused by the people around him, like really hard for me to watch. Like uncomfortable watching a movie about child abuse, hard to watch, you know, like I just couldn't stomach it because I'm putting my child like in that situation or that position, you know. And so I just thought that was absolutely fabulous, done very, very well. And so, um, yeah. Uh, let me start out with a question here as far as, uh, let's get into the characters a little bit. Um, Rhiannon, you said every character has their own storyline. I generally agree with that. Um, what about Gamora? Did you guys feel like she got her own story this time, or was it really Nebula's story that she was kind of attached to? The more, uh, the, the more spoilery, I was trying to be non-spoilery with that overall arching. Yeah. Every single character had a emotional journey involving their family and what it means to be family and so with that Gamora had her story with her sister you know there there was a family relationship there where in the end she couldn't kill her sister when she had the opportunity they both you know for some reason decided that they needed each other Um, but yeah I mean she didn't have a whole lot of her own story but I I felt okay with the relationship her and her sister figuring out who they were going to be what would you say is um for both of you guys what would you say who is your favorite character what was this who is a standout character for you in the movie rocket I would agree I I was gonna say uh both rocket and Yondu why why rocket I I I agree and I mean I thought a lot of his scenes were great but what what what's your thoughts on that I just felt that Rocket had so much emotion. I just know at the end when this silly jerk of a raccoon that steals batteries because he doesn't need to has one single tear dropping down his little fur face. Like I was sitting there like feeling for him. And however they did that, like how they made me feel for Rocket. You know, and his whole idea, him and Yondu, you know, having their moments talking about father figures and such, it just, uh, I, I just, it stood out for me. 
Yeah, earlier this week I read an interview with James Gunn where he talked about Rocket being um, the most autobiographical any character has been for him as he's made movies. Wow. And so that scene where Rocket said, you know, where Rocket was just being a jerk and Yondu's like, I, I know you. You do this and this and this and this and this and this. And I know you because I'm the same guy. It was really interesting because in my head I'm thinking, and James Gunn as a filmmaker is the same guy. And that's an incredibly vulnerable thing to do in a movie, you know? Yeah. But the next day, like when I was thinking about the movie while I should have been working, like Rocket is who I was thinking about. I was thinking about that one little tear. My favorite character was actually, I think, Yondu in this. I really liked the journey they took him on. Like we said, we're being full spoilers. Uh, we saw the end of Yondu as well. Um, but, I, you know, it was so easy. I think it's incredible that Michael Rucker could manage to make a character that was as disliked as I disliked him in the first one and was a legitimate villain and antagonist and then make them into, like, the anti-hero, likable rogue in the second one but not make it feel cheap or like it was just a random twist, but like it was a natural progression of who he was. Um, and when you think back to the first movie and the way he was to Quill, and then you look at this one and there's that scene, like the, the flashback where he's teaching Peter how to shoot. And it's like the fact that I felt emotion over that just showed to me how well they developed that character in a really honest way. And Never in an overly sentimental way. Like, nobody will say that Yondu was father of the year, but Yondu did the best he could in the spot he was in. And a lot of times that's what parenting is, is being the best you can be in a difficult moment. And I thought all of that was just really, really good. Uh, Well-written and, and well done all around, all around the board. So uh, Let's talk about Ego a little bit. Um, Adam, do you feel like um, Marvel has fixed their villain problem here with Ego? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, Kurt Russell did an amazing job. Um, that was one of the biggest. It almost felt like he didn't feel like a threat. You know, he was. Um, he had planted the ego seeds or whatever you want to call it all across the galaxy and was working on. Uh, growing those or whatever you want to call it with those blobs and so on and so forth but to me it just didn't seem like he was a a real threat um i don't know kurt russell did a a great job and i think everyone kind of had the feeling going into it that um that he was going to end up being the big bad after all um but the the surprise thing is you know and i think we could all um, agree we would react in the same way Peter did was when uh, Ego did confirm or um, admit to putting the brain tumor in Meredith Quill you know and Peter absolutely wreaking havoc after that um, yeah I thought Ego was great I kind of wish we got to see the whole planet do a really cheesy talking type thing you know they did it the one quick outside pan where we saw the actual ego face and we saw some interior shots where where ego kind of morphed the rocks around and and things like that but that's just a really um odd niche type thing i wanted to see but yeah overall i mean ego um as a whole um obviously it was a 
hell of a lot better than Malakith or <laughs> Malakith or whatever. Who are, I don't even know the guy's name anymore. Um, I wouldn't say he's the best villain um, MCU's certainly had, um, but to me it just didn't seem like he really brought a, a big, big threat, you know, especially after uh, Volume 1 where we knew Thanos was kind of the puppet master behind Ronan, you know. Um, I didn't really get that sense of anything from from Ego. Yeah, when you talked about the planet, I wanted to see a scene like out of the mummy where like as they flew away in the spaceship, like the planet like turned into his face and he tried to like swallow them whole. I don't know if that would have actually looked cool or not, but I was thinking that's where we were going. Rhiannon, did you like Ego? I I mean as a vil- I, I mean as a father story, I think it held a really cool purpose and I think, you know, it gave a great little like Peter Quill, you know, showing that he would give up being a literal god for his for everybody else in the galaxy that he knows. As a villain, I mean, I didn't really, you know, I'm going to take over the galaxy with these seeds I planted all over different planets and I made you so I could have some extra I just blah blah whatever and the final fight I mean when you have everybody fighting with a planet but they're deep inside that actual planet I found it very unbelievable that the planet couldn't just like crunch them all to death immediately like if, okay, yeah, if it's sentient, sense. why couldn't he just... I mean, he has a definite home field advantage there. Um, so I don't feel like there was a whole lot... Uh, it, you know, it just sort of made that final fight... <laughs> you know, suspension of disbelief, because, like, we, I want them to live, and I want, you know, to get to the end point. But um, I didn't love the whole, the whole him as a villain thing. But it was worth it for all of the other stuff in the movie. So I did not realize this until I started writing a review of this movie. But for a long time, people fussed at Marvel and other comic book movies that there was always the giant blue hole in the sky as like the bad guy, you know, whether it's Avengers or they redid it in Suicide Squad. There was some of it kind of in Thor The Dark World, just like there's this ominous hole where stuff's coming out of space. So Marvel finally got away from that, but I did not notice until I thought about it. We have now had two Marvel movies in a row where the villain was a disembodied head (laughs) who controls the environment (laughs) that the good guy is on and can impale him with the environment around them. And that is trying to take over the galaxy or multiverse by spreading some kind of cancerous glob all over the place, right? Yeah. Like Dormammu and Ego are shockingly similar in the way that they're powered and they're represented in the two movies. And what I, I didn't notice it at first. It's not a glaring problem. But now that I've seen it, I can't help but feel like, wow, those third acts were actually... A little bit similar, like Doctor Strange's was more ingenious about how they defeated him. Yeah. But um, still, I just can't, I can't help but notice now how similar the two bad guys were in those two movies back to back six months later from each other. And that's where it was very believable that Dormammu 
you know, the fight with Dormammu, I mean, as believable as a disembodied cosmic head, but it was very believable that Strange died, you know, over and over. You know, it, he had no way to fight against him. And that's where the fighting guardians, I'm just like, couldn't the planet just crush them all or, you know, suddenly have a tornado or, you know, it seems like he should have more powers as a planet. Uh, let's talk about the movie a little bit visually. Um, it was probably the most colorful, I think, Marvel movie that we've had. Um, generally, were you guys just pleased with the look and the universe that Gunn continues to build in the cosmic side of the MCU? Definitely. I mean, it, it felt very natural for everything. Had I loved that they explained why the gold people were so gold and shiny. If that had just been... If they had just been there and there had been people with golden skin and there was never an explanation as to why, I would have felt it was just Marvel showing off. But um, it all I, I liked the visual, the colors and everything. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, it that that's the thing. I mean, even through the trailers and through the movie posters and things like that, you know, even from starting with Strange and, and now seeing... Uh, volume two and seeing uh, you know footage from Thor Ragnarok you know it's they're moving a whole completely different way with the colors and, and things like that even though um, I don't want to say it felt like a different property but obviously there was uh, a different feel you know to volume two from from the first Guardians I liked it I really did enjoy it yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to touch on that I think is really interesting. There are a couple moments where Gunn went to straight up, like, cartoon visuals. I mean, three of them that popped to mind. Uh, the scene where Rocket is on the planet and he has the booby traps and he keeps, like, turning the gravity on and off. And there's, like, a shot from afar where you just see, like, five guys fly in the air above the tree line and then they fall again. And then some other guys jump above the tree line and they fall like it felt like a cartoon. And then there's the scene where Gamora picks up the gun from the ship and just puts it on her shoulder, mm-hmm. which was kind of crazy. And then the biggest one was when Yondu and Rocket start making those 700 jumps or whatever. And their faces like straight up look like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, you know, like. Those moments, that is a visual aesthetic choice that's beyond anything we've seen in Marvel before. And I don't, I don't hate it. At first I was like, whoa, like it was jarring how cartoony they were. But I think it's kind of interesting to say, hey, that's in our, that's in our realm of possibilities. We can do that if we want to. And we can make the film look a little more interesting that way. I think that's, that's cool. And I'm glad that he did it. And I think that it's okay for Guardians to have some distinct visual things that would never work in a Cap you know, uh, movie. Because if you read certain comic books, there's things they have that would never look right other places. Uh, I think about the Kamala Khan Miss Marvel artwork. Um, that comic looks different than other comic books. And there's some things that would look really out of place in other comics that look fine in her book because that's the style of that book. And allowing these movies to have their own visual style to a greater extent, I think, is cool. And I think it helps 
expand the universe and diversify what it really means to be a Marvel movie. So I was really, I was happy with all that. Um, with these movies, the soundtrack is always a big deal. Do you guys, uh, do you enjoy the volume two mixtape? Any thoughts on that at all? I, Rhiannon, love Fleetwood Mac. So having like the slow motion, like heroes go to the big battle with Fleetwood Mac in the background. Yes, please. I just couldn't believe that moment was happening. You guys know Rhiannon's a Fleetwood Mac song, right? Really? Oh, yeah. I actually, <laughs> I do know that as not something that I was connecting, but yes, now that you've said it. I was like, maybe our listeners don't know either. Rhiannon is a song by Fleetwood Mac that my parents named me after. Yeah, that's nice. Oh, were you named after the song? I was named after a Fleetwood Mac song. So. Wow. You know. For probably the vast majority of our listeners, Fleetwood Mac was a uh, somewhat bluesy, but then later just general rock and roll band of the 1970s involving um, a lot of contentious, uh, contentious relationships, including that of Stevie. No, I won't go any further. <laughs> like, wow, but yeah, it's, it's a band. <laughs> go, go to Spotify and listen to them. They're, yeah. It's enjoyable. So Greatest hits, track number one, Rhiannon. All right. Um, before we move on, anything else for you guys uh, from this movie? Anything else you were really wanting to talk about here on the podcast uh, before we finish up? Go watch it. Give all your money to Guardians so we can have two or three more of these. <laughs> Or four. Two trilogies is good. Take your friends. Take your coworkers. Talk everybody into seeing it with you. They will be happy. I do think it's interesting. Uh, I saw comments where James Gunn was... Apparently Gunn is going to be moving into kind of... Almost being like the Feige of the comic mo- cosmic movies. And somewhere I saw some quote from... Is him or Feige or something? Where it talked about one of the roles he'll have is helping them think about what characters to kind of green light for solo movies out of this stuff. And I thought that was just really interesting. I mean, I think he has a sense that guardians three will definitely be the ending of a trilogy, but then he'll want to expand into other stuff. Oh, um, probably for our listeners to help Adam explain who the, uh, give us a little bit about the Sylvester Stallone uh, team and what you think is going to come from that because I know I don't know anything about it so oh, I'd man. love if you have some thoughts. I, I was so hyped. So Sly played Stakar Ogard who is Starhawk in the comics um, and obviously um, the, the MCU is doing a little bit of uh, origin changes or retconning on this so the original Guardians actually happened to be this group that was doing what Star Lord, Rocket, Gamora, Drax, etc., did except they were based on the 31st century. I mean, they were introduced. I think it was 1969. Marvel superheroes number 18. Um, so they were in the 31st century. You had Vance Astro, uh, you had Martin X, you had Charlie 27, and you had Yondu. Um, obviously, we got Yondu in um, the first movie, and they changed him completely you know in the in the comics he's more of a tribal warrior type guy um then we also got martin x and then we also got charlie 27 um starhawk joins him later on and and his character in the comics is very complex he's he calls himself i think the one who knows all and his powers are weird he keeps living and rebirthing and 
it's weird. And then you get into this other thing where Alita Ogard is his stepsister or wife, and they combine and make Starhawk, and it's really weird. And yeah, you have to get really deep into it to even understand it. It's 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 weird. But so Sly played Starhawk, obviously an older version, you know, and that's kind of the general consensus with how they're taking these. Obviously, Michael Rooker's an older person. Um, Charlie Twenty Seven was played by Ving Rhames. And then uh, Martin X was played by uh, Rosenbaum. Um, so that's kind of the gist of it. I mean, the, the first group was based in the 31st century. Obviously, I'm not sure if they're going to tie that in this way with some time traveler. They're just going to say they're kind of like the the older set. In the movies, while in the group uh, or in the comics, they were a superhero group of sorts. Obviously, uh, we heard Stakar slash Sly Stallone say uh, there's a hundred some factions of Ravagers, and Stakar seems like he's kind of the uh, what do you call it the the boss of all of them, or at least he's widely respected. It seemed like um, you know Charlie twenty seven. We saw um, during Yandy's funeral, we saw Charlie on his own uh, ship with guys that were kind of wearing the same tan clothing. You know, we saw. Um, Alita Ogard on a Ogard on a Ogord whatever Alita on her own ship, um, and that's Michelle the, Yao, right? Yeah, yep. And then uh, the the thing of note in in the post credit scenes, so they had um, we've seen three of the the four original Guardians, and we haven't seen Vance Astro yet, who is I would say the most not famous but most popular of them all so i'm not sure if they're they're saving him for a bigger reveal later should they give these guys their own side project or something uh so we didn't see him um but we saw in the post credits scene obviously uh stakar we saw martin x we saw charlie 27 we saw alita and then we saw two very very i mean we're talking this is probably the lowest list of characters you can get in krugar and mainframe and mainframe was actually uh voiced by miley cyrus the whole four words or whatever mainframe said uh but krugar is a a really interesting character he actually he he is from the same time period he is from the 31st century that the original guardians are from but he's the sorcerer sorcerer supreme during that time frame when dr strange is actually the ancient one um, and we saw Krugar do some strange like hand movements and, and some magic in there. Um, so yeah, they, uh, some original guardians, some, I mean, Krugar and mainframe did have brief stints throughout that, uh, nineties run. Um, but yeah, it seems like a very odd group to put together and focus on an end credit scene if they weren't going to uh do something at least somewhat i don't want to say somewhat bigger but we should be seeing at least some of them sometime again yeah and we also didn't get a moment to mention uh adam warlock apparently is coming to volume three the way i'm reading everything right now warlock is not going to be an infinity war but instead will be saved as sort of the villain for um Volume three, which is interesting. I wonder if they'll go straight to sort of the the Magus uh version of Warlock. Uh, we'll see. Uh that's it's all a lot that they're building to. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. So 
All right, thanks. Is, no, that that was very interesting. You know, so Michael Rooker did post pictures, you know, with the Infinity War hat on. And so is he going to be in Infinity War or not? Or are they just, you know, keeping the surprise, you know? I mean, Feige keeps saying Warlock's not going to be Infinity War. But, yeah, I mean, do they keep saying that because it's going to be like the ultimate reveal? At least for, for Marvel fanboys, you know, I don't know. You know what would be really cool, and this is just total speculation I just came up with? I would love if, like, the first scene of Infinity War was, like, Yondu and all of those original Guardians dispersing the different stones, like, a long, long time ago, or, like, moving some of them to separate places in the universe, kind of like a really early Infinity Watch. I don't know if that makes any sense. But anyways, it's just an idea that came to my head, so. Do it. All right, I think we're going to go ahead, given our time, let's go on to our mailbag. We like to read some of your guys' thoughts that you give um, via the website or via uh, YouTube. Uh, There's a couple times here where people asked if something sounds like a good idea, so when I get to those, feel free, Adam and Rhiannon, to say whether you like it or not. But uh, here we go, I'm going to run through them. Love Waffle on the website. Um, said that he would take four seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. over the five Defender seasons. He likes Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. better. Uh, and he says part of the reason is because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is always changing and growing, whereas the Defenders kind of goes by the same formula all the time. And there was actually one or two people that felt that way. Um, I don't feel that way, but that's fine that you guys do. Uh, it feels like the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, the, the big Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans really love agents of shield um more than i do but anyways that's cool um chris was commenting back and forth with him about the need for some more netflix uh, timeline clarity that there's a lot of issues about when exactly these shows happen and how they fit into the rest of the mcu and i think i agree totally uh alvin just chimed in to say he loved guardians of the galaxy volume 2 um there was someone named Dave that had a lot of good theories that were so into comics that I don't even know how to evaluate them because he's got much deeper knowledge than I do. So thanks for that, Dave. Uh, Ultimate Typeface. Uh, I was just mentioning the idea we had last week that when these TV shows end that the characters should jump to the films, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, over on YouTube, Jack Hammer um, let us know that... Um, he, he was just saying that he really feels like it's time for the movies to acknowledge the TV side. Uh, basically saying that you can't have Inhumans running around all over the place and S.H.I.E.L.D. back up and operational and a whole superhero team fighting ninjas in the middle of New York City and never, ever, ever mention them in the movie side. It's gotten to a point where you just can't believe it anymore, and so it's time to make those connections a little more explicit, make the movies acknowledge the TV show somehow. Um, also on YouTube, R.R. Ark Stanton uh, said that he just likes more subtle connections, and so it's not a big deal to him if it's not uh, totally in your face. Um, Hudson Blanco, or Hudson Blanco, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, um, he mentioned some sort of Jimmy Kimmel scene that somehow would force certain things to happen before or after Civil War. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what was going on there. I th- I'm not sure if it's canon. I'm not sure what scene you're talking about. I don't remember Jimmy Kimmel ever being actually in a canonical TV show or movie. 
It may have just been a skit on his show. Um, but anyways, he was having concerns about timeline that way um, and how that affects Infinity War and some other things. But he also said, keep up the good work. So thank you very much, Hudson. You may have just heard my kids screaming in the background. Uh, Dylan Ross uh, was wondering if the Illuminati might be on board for Avengers 4. Do you guys think they should do a movie focused on the Illuminati? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that'd be great. All right. Um, PayPy Gaming said that they were thinking Avengers 4 might be um, a Scarlet Witch insanity storyline. So... What about a House of M style story? Would that be fun for Avengers Four? Oh man, um, how would you do that without the X Men though? I mean, wasn't that the whole basis with House of M? You know, kind of pretty much depowering the mutants. That's the end of it, but that's I mean, that's the last five pages of it. But you could do a whole storyline where she just went nuts and reordered reality. Sounds like we're not so big on that idea. Well, um, I mean, I, the. Not knowing anything about the story, I think there's a lot of Scarlet... We know there's going to be a lot of Scarlet Witch in the story, and I think her going crazy sounds like something I could enjoy watching. So, yeah, sure, bring it. Uh, we also got several comments. Uh, Rhiannon, as our expert on Netflix, people were uh, uh, a little critical. You had mentioned last week that on the Netflix shows, they never actually name drop any of the Avengers. And several people noted that Tony Stark is apparently name dropped by the guy who's selling DVDs and Luke Cage. And that at one point they call um, Luke the Captain America of Harlem. So apparently there are some direct references to those characters names. So I was going to let it go, but like 15 people <laughs> texted that in. So I points, thought I'd, I'd say something about it. Points to you guys. And we can write that off as Luke Cage being the one I've rewatched the least. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. Sorry. Um, See, it's all connected. Last week, I <laughs> last week I suggested um, that they should uh, that they could make Infinity War uh, a, or the Avengers Four a Secret Wars movie, and uh, I got this comment. I just uh, it was so so well put. I had to share it. That idea sounds weird, and the idea sucks. Sorry, but I think it sucks, and I hate the idea. I'm a little confused. <laughs> If you hated the idea, or if you thought the idea sucked, or both. So, if you'd like to make clear how you felt about that, that would that would that would be helpful. But thank you for your apology. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry, but it sucks. Uh, Mark Merck, um, this okay. This is my favorite idea of any of the commenters this week. He said, "What if the next phases turn into like mini phases or sub phases, based on kind of the genre?" So I'm paraphrasing what he said and what all these writers said, but, but kind of the idea would be that there would be like a phase 4A that was like a phase storyline for two or three cosmic movies and a 4B that was a storyline for all the kind of Earth-based movies and then maybe like a 4C that was all the magic movies or the monster movies or whatever, like that the phases would kind of split so there'd be interconnected storylines, but they would culminate in separate places and so there's kind of separate tracks running at the same time i think that sounds really cool i could see that being a good idea what do you guys think i really don't care i just want good movies and i want to know that they're really connected yeah you know i mean there there was the talk of them with you know 
getting rid of the um, phases, you know. Um, I mean, look at Guardians Volume 2. I mean, how much, uh, what effect did that have on all the other movies in this particular phase, you know? What, with the exception of, you know, some introductions of, of uh, Adam Warlock, you know, which is going to be a, probably a huge part of the cosmic side in the future. And, I mean, we saw the Watchers, which are too big of characters to ignore. You know, those were all post credit scenes. I mean, what did the events of actual the plot within Volume 2, how is that going to affect the universe? You know, I mean, Peter essentially had to kill his father. Yeah, that's going to affect the character. But, I mean, in, in the first one, we saw, what was it, the Power Stone? We saw an Affinity Stone in the first one. Um, you know, and we know Thanos has to get that to kill everyone in the world. Um, you know, so, I mean, I think they're even, right now, they're kind of getting away from the face thing. Um, especially Spider-Man coming up, you know, how much is that going to affect the other movies? Um, but yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that. It's essentially the Marvel Studios' response to a pod-type setup on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. of sorts. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of a cool idea. I could see where it would make it less... Instead of making ten movies fit one storyline, you know, three or four of them are on this track, and three or four of them on this track. I, I think that could be cool. I like that. And then every once in a while, you could make all of those come together for a giant Avengers Infinity War kind of thing. So, uh, We also got a comment from Javiz Matt Saberi, and I'm probably butchering that, but I at least did it confidently. Uh, said that having a universe is enough that feels like a combined universe. We don't need explicit connections. And then uh, finally on Twitter, a guy named Ed asked, uh, now this question is going to be for you, uh, Adam, because I believe you're the only one of us that could possibly answer it. What do you think about uh, adapting the Korvac saga for Avengers 4? Absolutely. Absolutely, wholeheartedly. I was just reading the trade again. <laughs> what was it? Two nights ago, I was thinking I was reading that trade. Um, yeah, I mean, it's heavily influenced by... Um, uh, the original Guardians, you know, it was kind of the, uh, you know, Secret Wars-ish type stuff and rewriting reality, except uh, Korvac was doing it. Uh, I mean, we saw everyone. We saw Captain Marvel. We saw most of the Avengers. We saw the current iteration of the Guardians, and we saw the Guardians 3000, um, including Vance Astro. So, uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. That, that's a pretty good... Uh, Good quick read too. I recommend that. Well, good. I I knew nothing about it. I Wikipedia'd it <laughs> real quick before we started. The only thing I saw is there's some stuff about Galactus and the power um, cosmic, which I assume they don't have. But I also assumed that they didn't have Uatu the Watcher. So, uh, who knows what's going on, or if there's deals being made, or all whatever. But um. Yeah, so that was my first thought, is that that storyline might be a little hard without Fantastic Four, but then we can just all start praying that they're going to get Fantastic Four and we don't have to worry about that anymore. All right, um, this is online to be our longest podcast yet, unless I just decide to cut a bunch of stuff out, so we should wrap it up. Um, guys, go ahead and give them your Twitter handles, and we'll be done. You can find me on Twitter as Shot of Patron. 
And I'm on Twitter at Adam Barnhart. And I am at Caleb A. Borchers. Um, you can also always contact the podcast via Twitter with hashtag MCUXPod. That's M-C-U-E-X-P-O-D. You can leave comments on the website when we post the podcast there. You can leave comments on YouTube when we put the podcast there. You also could do us a big favor and give us a five-star rating on iTunes and give your thoughts, and we'll read those every once in a while. And um, other than that, you can find us on Twitter if you want to interact kind of more directly. We appreciate you guys listening. Uh, We love doing the podcast, and it seems like there's more of you listening all the time. So uh, thanks for interacting with it. And uh, have a good week, guys. We will be back to our normal schedule next week, and uh, you'll be getting your podcast on Friday morning like usual. So uh, take care. Have a good week. See you guys. Bye.